This is an audio version of What You Can Do to Help Stop Violence Against Women and Girls by Akil, posted on the 12th of January 2023. Heading Introduction I previously wrote an entry for the Open Philanthropy Cause Exploration Prize on why preventing violence against women and girls is a global priority. For an introduction to the area, I've written a brief summary below. In this post, I will extend that work, diving deeper into the literature and the landscape of organisations in the field, as well as creating a cost-effectiveness model for some of the most promising preventative interventions. Based on this, I will offer some concrete recommendations that different stakeholders should take, from individuals looking to donate, to funders, to charity evaluators and incubators. The key recommendations I make in order of importance are 1. Support community-based interventions that seek to shift harmful gender norms and reduce violence. They have a high quality of evidence and cost $180 per DALI, disability-adjusted life years, or $150 for a woman to live a year free from violence. Two particularly promising organisations are CEDEVIP, or C-E-D-O-V-I-P, that is, the Centre for Domestic Violence Prevention, and Raising Voices, and there are links to those two organisations here in the post. 2. Fund and conduct a well-designed randomised controlled trial of radio or television dramas to shift harmful gender norms and reduce violence. They have a startling cost-effectiveness of $13 per DALI, or $11 for a woman to live a year free from violence, but currently lacks a well-established evidence base. 3. Fund organisations undertaking economic programmes supporting women, for example microfinancing, cash transfers, Village Savings and Loans Association, to add on social empowerment programs focused on reducing violence. They have a cost effectiveness of $180 per DALI or $145 for a woman to live a year free from violence. 4. Found new charities focused on community based interventions that seek to shift harmful gender norms and reduce violence, particularly in neglected geographies and populations. 5. Consider supporting self-defence training programs. Although analysis suggests that self-defence training may not be as cost-effective as other interventions for VAWG, violence against women and girls, it is nevertheless relatively cost-effective at $260 per DALI or $215 for a woman to live a year free from violence and potentially scalable intervention. No means no worldwide and Ujamaa, there are some links here to those organisations, appear to be two organisations scaling this intervention well. 6. Fund academic research to understand what types of culture change programmes targeting boys and men are most effective at reducing violence against women and girls. That's the end of that list. You can find a two-page summary of my initial post and this post at a link here. Heading. Why VAWG is an important cause area. This is a list of points. Nearly one-third of women and girls aged 15 years or older have experienced either physical or sexual intimate partner violence, IPV, or non-partner sexual violence globally, with 13%, 10-16%, experiencing it in 2018 alone. And here's a reference to Sardina et al. 2022. It is one of the leading burdens of disease globally responsible for 8.5 million DALIs and 68,500 deaths annually. Next point. In several countries, violence against women is in the top 3 to 5 leading causes of death for young women aged between 15 and 29. Is a reference to Mendoza et al. 2018. 
Next point. VAWG has wide-ranging effects on women's physical, sexual and mental health. In fact, it is responsible for 11% of the daily burden of depressive disorders and 14% of the daily burden of HIV in women. Here's a reference to IHME 2019. Next point. Globally, the rates of VAWG are both alarmingly high and have increased over the last 30 years, despite gains in other areas of women's health, such as maternal care. A reference to Think Global Health. Next point. In 2016, the global economic cost of violence against women was estimated by the UN to be 1.5 trillion US dollars, equivalent to approximately 2% of the global GDP. Here's a reference to UN Women 2016. Next point. Although there are many groups working to stop VAWG, it is fairly neglected relative to the scale of the harm that it causes. A reference to Ellsberg et al. 2015. In addition, a lot of work may not be prioritising interventions that have the greatest impact. Reference to What Works 2019. And the final point in this list, please see my original post linked here for more details. Heading. Summary of Interventions. In my initial post, I argued that interventions that seek to prevent violence from occurring in the first place are the most likely to be cost-effective, as opposed to interventions that support women who have already experienced violence, or which treat the effects of violence, which undoubtedly are also very important. Here, I evaluate some of the most promising types of primary prevention interventions for VAWG, evaluating them and establishing some concrete recommendations. And there's a footnote here. The following report, linked here, produced as a result of the UK DFID's What Works program, explores additional preventative interventions for VAWG, such as working in antenatal or postnatal settings, interventions targeting sex workers and others. I have focused on the most evidence-based and promising interventions, which is a subset of those. That's the end of the footnote. Back to the main text. The main metrics that were considered were the quality of evidence for the intervention, a subjective assessment based on a non-exhaustive literature search, and the cost-effectiveness, which is reported in both Cost Per Disability Adjusted Life Year, or DALI, and Cost for a Woman to Live a Year Free from Violence. Footnote. Result presented as cost per DALI, but includes both health and income gains converted using Open Philanthropy's most recent moral weights, linked here. And that's the end of the footnote. Back to the main text. For more detail, the full spreadsheet model can be found at a link here in the post. It should be noted that the estimates of the cost for a woman to live a year free from violence are directly taken from the literature on the benefits and costs of interventions, whilst the estimates for cost per DALI are based on a more speculative model of the economic and health harms of IPV, intimate partner violence. Of course, these cost-effectiveness calculations cannot capture many of the greatest harms of violence, its infringement on women's rights, and many of the broader societal-level effects that violence against women and girls has. Despite this, these models are useful in comparing interventions in this field to other areas. In that light, and for reference, GiveWell, a charity focused on recommending the most cost-effective global health charities, has a bar, in quotes, of $125 per DALI to consider and potentially recommend charities. And here's a table containing information about different interventions. So we have columns for intervention, description of the intervention investigated, a cost-effectiveness estimate, quality of the evidence, and the recommendation. I'll read out this table row by row. Here's the first row. Community-based social empowerment, men and women. 
That's community-based activism and support to shift harmful gender norms and reduce violence. Cost-effectiveness is $180 per dally, or $150 for a woman to live a year free from violence. High quality of evidence, and the recommendation is support existing organizations and found new organizations. The next row, self-defense program, women. Physical and non-physical training for women to defend themselves from violence. Cost-effectiveness is estimated at $260 per dally, or $215 for a woman to live a year free from violence. With moderate quality of evidence, recommendation continue funding at current level. Next row, mass media campaigns. Radio or television dramas to shift harmful gender norms and reduce violence. Cost there is $13 per dally, $11 for a woman to live a year free from violence. Low to moderate quality of evidence, and the recommendation is to fund and conduct RCTs to build the evidence base. The next row, social empowerment as an add-on to economic empowerment. That's social and culture change programs added on to existing economic programs like microfinances and cash transfers. With a cost-effectiveness estimate of $180 per dally, or $145 for a woman to live a year free from violence. Quality of evidence is moderate, and the recommendation is to fund organisations doing economic programs to add on social empowerment programs. And the final row in this table, culture change programs targeting men. That's programs to shift gender norms and violent attitudes and behaviours of men only. The cost-effectiveness estimate is not assessed, and the quality of evidence is low evidence, Recommendation is to fund academic research to determine what programs work best. And that's the end of this table. The text goes on. For in-depth detail on how the cost-effectiveness analysis model was created, please see a link here in the post titled Supplementary Material 1. Heading. Details by intervention. Heading. The first intervention. Community activist social empowerment. Social empowerment programs to reduce VAWG broadly aim to shift harmful attitudes, roles and social norms in relation to VAWG. This encompasses programs in many different settings, for example workshops at schools, hospitals, in the community, with different content, for example didactic, self-determined, and of differing lengths, for example one-off sessions, six-month programs, longer interventions. One of the most promising types of social empowerment interventions is community-level activist programs. This approach is built on the premise that community-led and community-level work can enable sustained change on VAWG prevention at a population level. And here's a reference to Mikau et al. 2015. These programs are characteristically... This is a list of points. They're characteristically based in the community, rather than a specific setting like a school or hospital. Next point... Train and utilise local community members who act as activists, rather than didactic instructors. Community activists are supported by manuals and other materials to enable structured or guided engagement with men and women in their community. Next point. Involves community activists increasing local knowledge about VAWG and positively changing social and gender norms, directly supporting survivors, or engaging couples with known problems with IPV, providing counselling and support to couples. They often work with local religious and traditional leaders and state actors such as the police, health and social services to strengthen their responses to survivors and influence their attitudes and practices in their work. And the last point, they're characteristically carried out over a medium to long-term time frame, loosely defined as more than a 12-month program duration. That's the end of that list of points. 
Although many other program types were identified, they were ultimately not thoroughly investigated in this report, as it seemed unlikely that they would be as promising as community activist programs, which have the strongest evidence base and effect size. A non-exhaustive literature search of all social empowerment programs was conducted, through which community activist programs were selected for. The details of all programs identified, their results and their reason for inclusion or exclusion from the analysis can be found at a link here. From this, there are several studies evaluating community activist social empowerment programs. Abramski et al. 2014, Dunkel et al. 2020, Late et al. 2020, Wagman et al. 2015, Ogumalangia et al. 2020, LaRue et al. 2020, Tachigi et al. 2020. They differ in the specific community activist model they used, including SASA, Unite for a Better Life, and Rural Response Systems, or RRS. And here are some footnotes for each of those explaining what they are. SASA is a community mobilisation program developed by Raising Voices. The activist kit which the program is based on has four stages. Start phase, where community volunteers are recruited and trained. Awareness phase, which comprises tools to engage the community and raise awareness of men's power over women. Support phase, guides communities in how to offer support to one another. And action phase, suggestions and tools on how to engage more people from more circles of influence and reach to change broader community norms. And there's a link to more information here. Now here's the second of those footnotes. This one's about Unite for a Better Life, or UBL, which is a gender-transformative, participatory intervention delivered to men, women and couples in Ethiopia in the context of the coffee ceremony, a traditional forum for community-based discussion. The program aims to reduce physical and sexual IPV and HIV risk behaviours as well as promote healthier, more equitable relationships. And there's a reference here to Sharma et al. 2020. And the last of those footnotes about rural response systems. Developed by the Gender Centre, community-based action teams are selected by community members and the Gender Centre. They work together to undertake community sensitisation and awareness raising, and work to change norms in the community, such as at community festivals, weddings, schools, religious groups and others. There are many similarities between this and the SASA program. And here's a reference to Addo Lartley et al. 2019. That's the end of those three footnotes, and we return to the main text. Based on these studies, community activist-based programs have an established evidence base and do lead to significant reductions in violence. In estimating the cost-effectiveness of this intervention, community activist-based social empowerment programs were found to have a cost-effectiveness of $180 per DALI, or $150 for a woman to live a year free from violence. And there's a footnote here after cost-effectiveness that reads, It is important to note that the community activists are unpaid volunteers, which accounts for some of the low cost of this intervention. This may lead to some concerns about the ethics and long-term sustainability of this intervention and model, but my impression is that this is relatively scalable, and that the ethical and practical constraints of a volunteer-led program for such an intervention are relatively minor and can be mitigated. Back to the main text. In addition to the strong evidence base and cost-effectiveness of the intervention, it also appears that the intervention is relatively scalable. In particular, SASA has created an activist kit and works with regional partners and NGOs to implement the program. Two particularly promising organisations, SEDAVIP and Raising Voices, are providing technical assistance to other NGOs and governments and themselves scaling up SASA programs. For example, Namiatal 2019. 
they seem particularly promising organisations to support. And there's a footnote here that says, I've reached out to a few of these organisations in the last week to get a better understanding of their work and their organisation, as well as their plans to scale and room for more funding. Of course, further and in-depth evaluation would be yet to be carried out, but directionally I am supportive of these. That's in the footnote, back to the main text. In conjunction with supporting existing organisations in scaling up community activist programs, and given the relative dearth of organisations using this approach, it also seems prudent to found new charities in the area. Given that in any given year, approximately 200 million women are affected by violence, it is almost certainly the case that the amount of organisations working in the space is neglected. A brief geographic assessment of particularly neglected and tractable geographies for new organisations was carried out. More details on the methodology and the results can be found in Supplementary Material 2, which is linked here. Based on this, it seems like particularly promising areas to start new charities might include... Here's a list. Central or Southern Africa, so Zambia, Angola, Zimbabwe, Tanzania and Botswana. Asia-Pacific region, East Timor, Fiji, Papua New Guinea. Asia... India. Other, Kuwait. Here's a text box with recommendations. Support Sedevip and Raising Voices, who are providing technical assistance to other NGOs and governments and themselves scaling up community-based social programs based on the well-evidenced SASA. And found new charities focused on community-based interventions that seek to shift harmful gender norms and reduce violence, particularly in neglected geographies and populations. Heading, self-defence programs. This is the next intervention being examined. Another common intervention is self-defence programs, most of which are based on the evidence-based EMPOWER program. That's capital I-M-P and then O-W-E-R in lowercase. They typically involve 10 to 15 hours of physical self-defence, as well as many areas of non-physical defence and training, such as verbal de-escalation and negotiation, assertive communication and personal awareness. They are conducted over several weeks to months. They are most commonly targeted towards school-aged girls, and often boys as well. And there's a footnote there after self-awareness that reads, It is unclear to me, from the literature or from my work in the space, whether the physical self-defence or the non-physical defence and training has more impact. My intuition is that many of the assertive communication and verbal de-escalation training may be where a significant amount of the impact comes from. This would be interesting to further investigate, as it might affect what specific type of interventions we fund, and because it might be easier to scale a program that has more of one component than the other. That's into the footnote, back to the main text. There are several cohort studies and RCTs of Empower, Sinclair et al. 2013, Sunquist et al. 2014, Bayoki et al. 2017, Decker et al. 2018, Edwards et al. 2020, Sen et al. 2013, from which the estimate of the effectiveness of the interventions was derived, as well as several other studies for the persistence of the effects, Sen et al. 2017, Hollander et al. 2014. Although more details on these are described in the cost-effectiveness model, it seems that these programs may reduce the prevalence of violence by approximately 45%, with an annual effect persistence of 20-30%, to However, moderate to high risk of bias in the included studies, possible methodological flaws in the way questions were asked, as well as my priors, led me to discount the effectiveness of this intervention slightly more than other interventions. In the model, 
self-defense programs have a cost effectiveness of approximately $260 per dally, or $215 for a woman to live a year free from violence. This is reasonably cost-effective, but perhaps not as cost-effective compared to some of the interventions that are presented in this report. However, one comparative advantage is that there seem to be NGOs with a proven track record that could scale in power programs. Such NGOs include No Means No Worldwide, or NMNW, which has reached over 2 million school-aged children in 2021, and Ujma, which has significantly scaled up in schools in Kenya. Although I did not conduct a comprehensive literature search, it seems that there are a number of other organisations who also teach self-defence, some of which use Empower. However, there was less data on them, and a lot of them appear to be local or opportunistic, such as this self-defence program in a refugee camp that's linked here, and this organisation linked here in Lucknow, India. And there was a footnote there for No Means No Worldwide. It says NMNW has undergone a shallow investigation by both Founders Pledge and SoGive, with the publication forthcoming. The Founders Pledge report is linked here. For some data, for example on the cost of intervention per participant, I benefited from their notes. Other than that, all the analysis here is independent. That's into the footnote, and back in the main text, the analysis of this intervention ends with a text box, Recommendation. Self-defence programs are a moderately cost-effective and potentially scalable intervention. No Means No Worldwide and Ujma appear to be two organisations operating well at scale. Heading, Mass Media Campaigns. This is the next intervention being examined. Mass media campaigns are a promising intervention carried out by governments and organisations around the world to affect behavioural and attitudinal change. These can operate via various media, including radio, TV and the internet. They are a potentially cost-effective and scalable intervention that have a growing evidence base in a number of different areas, from HIV prevention to family planning. Here's a list of references, Banerjee et al. 2019b, Glenister et al. 2021, Sarasat et al. 2018, Family Empowerment Media, Development Media International. And for more information, the Cause Area Report from Founders Pledge is a good introduction, and that's linked here. There are several mass media campaigns that have been undertaken for the purpose of reducing VAWG. Broadly, they have two goals. To reduce violence from occurring, and by making victims of violence more aware of support services available to them. I focused on studies aiming to prevent violence from occurring. I conducted a non-exhaustive search of the literature in this area. Studies vary in the media format and their target audience. Here's a list of references. Lepansky and Chatterjee, 2013. Patterson et al., 2000. Arias, 2018. Kostler et al., 2013. Simons and Kahn, 2019. Indeed, one observational, correlative study even found that the introduction of cable television in India reduced the acceptability and rate of VAWG. That's Jensen and Oster, 2009. It seems like the most cost-effective is likely to be serialised drama radio programmes targeting both women and men, on which there is one RCT, that's Green et al. 2020. And a footnote there reads, My prior was that mass media campaigns that were more substantive were more likely to be effective than campaigns with less detail, in quotes, for example poster campaigns or television advertisements. Back to the main text. This study found a significant increase in willingness of women to seek help in the event of IPV, and a 25% relative reduction in rates of violence experience, as reported by women. This study seems significantly higher than studies in other mass media campaigns for sexual behaviour and cohort studies in the space. 
References to Snyder et al. 2004, Jasmine et Armand 2017, Ray et al. 2004, which generally show a relative reduction of 3 to 5%. In estimating the cost-effectiveness of this intervention, a relatively conservative estimate of a 7% relative reduction and moderately strong discounts for internal and external validity were applied. In spite of this, mass media campaigns appear to be a very cost-effective intervention, with a cost per dally of $13, or $11 for a woman to live a year free from violence. There are a few important caveats that I want to mention here. This is a list of points. Here's the first one. The evidence base here is less strong than for other interventions. Next point. The type and implementation of the mass media campaign is likely to be fairly instrumental in its acceptability and impact. Reference to Walker 2021. And the last point. Although one of the appeals of mass media campaigns is their scalability, I feel less confident, due to social and cultural differences in the circumstances within which violence occurs and the political attitudes towards gender roles, that the same type of media campaigns in one setting would work in another, as opposed to mass media campaigns for typical global health interventions like vitamin supplementation or vaccinations. However, I think to a large extent, appropriate co-design of campaigns with local stakeholders reference to Stanley et al. 2017, including scriptwriting of the media, could mitigate this to a significant extent. And that's the end of that list of points. Overall, and as discussed above, mass media campaigns could be a promising intervention in reducing VAWG. However, there is insufficient evidence at this time to understand how much effect it has, and how persistent its effects are. I would recommend funding an experimental study, ideally a cluster-randomised RCT, which investigated the effects of a drama-style radio campaign on the incidence of violence against women and girls. Ideally, the study would have a relatively large sample size and have a follow-up duration of at least 24 months. This study could be undertaken by an organisation that is already carrying out mass media campaigns, such as Family Empowerment Media or Development Media International, and both those organisations have links here in the article. It is relevant to note that Innovations for Poverty Action, or IPA, are currently running an RCT of a radio campaign in Tanzania with Uzikwasa, with some details about that linked here in the post. But on balance, it seems like more evidence here would be quite useful in determining the effectiveness and cost-effectiveness of this intervention. However, it does also seem plausible that the value of an RCT might be relatively low, especially given their high cost and the difficulty of running a well-designed mass media RCT and that just directly funding an organisation to run mass media campaigns might be a reasonable option. And here's a recommendation text box. Mass media campaigns may be a highly cost-effective intervention for VAWG, but at this time there is insufficient evidence to be confident about their impact. It would be beneficial to fund and conduct a well-designed randomised controlled trial of a drama-based radio campaign aimed at reducing violence against women and girls. Heading Social empowerment added on to economic initiatives for women. This is the next intervention being examined. There are a number of financial empowerment interventions based on supporting women. From microfinancing loans for women, saving and lending groups, VSLA, to unconditional and conditional cash transfers. By themselves, these economic interventions may reduce IPV, reference to Del Campo et al. 2022, However, there is increasing interest in the impact that adding on a structured social empowerment intervention alongside the financial empowerment program has on rates of VAWG. 
There are several RCTs looking at this topic. Here are references to Pronik et al. 2006, Kapiga et al. 2019, Green et al. 2015, Gupta et al. 2013, Halim et al. 2019, Ismailova et al. 2018, Bulta and Lenzenk 2019, and Iangar and Ferrari 2016. And a footnote here reads, for scope sensitivity, studies that looked at social empowerment initiatives for women at their workplace or in a set employment were not included, such as Adia et al. 2019, Navid et al. 2021. Several studies also had an economic livelihood and social empowerment training program, rather than a specific financial support, for example Gibbs et al. 2019 and Gibbs et al. 2020. These were also excluded. That's into the footnote and the text goes on. These social empowerment programs were quite heterogeneous in their structure, quality and strength of implementation, but mostly were short-term, two to six month, workshop-based gender training focused. Most of these studies found a modest reduction in VAWG in their intervention arm, finance plus social empowerment, compared to their control arm, financial intervention only. To estimate the cost effectiveness, the effect of economic initiatives on IPV was first ascertained, taking the effect size from a recent meta-analysis, which is Del Campo et al. 2022, which was then accounted for in the baseline prevalence of IPV in the study population. Then, through analysis of the literature on the additional relative reduction of VAWG from adding on a social empowerment program to an economic initiative, the estimated cost effectiveness was $180 per DALI or $145 for a woman to live a year free from violence. And here's a text box with a recommendation once again. Recommendation. Fund organisations undertaking economic programs supporting women, for example microfinancing, cash transfers, to add on social empowerment programs focused on reducing violence. Heading. Culture change programs targeting men. This is the last of the interventions examined in this section. There were a number of programs that aimed to change gender norms, attitudes and behaviours of boys and men only. Here are references to Hossein et al. 2014, Christofides et al. 2020, Valiant et al. 2020, Pulowitz et al. 2015, Miller et al. 2012, Miller et al. 2014, Kalikman et al. 2009, Jukes et al. 2015. Overall, here's a list of points. The evidence from the studies is conflicting and inconclusive. Next point. The programs varied in who they targeted, bystanders, school-aged boys, men who'd previously been violent, and their duration. It may be that certain groups of men are more responsive to culture change programs. Here's a reference to Gibbs et al. 2020. And the last point. Overall, although working with men and boys may be a useful approach and is likely an important priority, at this stage it is somewhat unclear which groups of boys and men and what types of interventions are most effective. And the recommendation text box? Fund academic research to understand what types of culture change programs targeting boys and men are most effective at reducing violence against women and girls. And that's the end of that section. Here's the next heading. What can you do? Overall, this in-depth investigation has updated me positively on the importance of funders, including open philanthropy, investing in VAWG. In light of that, here are some points. First, if you're an average punter, engage with this post and the field more broadly. Consider making personal donations to the organisations identified in this post, like Sedevip, Raising Voices, as well as No Means No Worldwide and Ujima. And a footnote here reads, I've not yet spoken to these organisations or done a deeper analysis of the organisations themselves yet, 
but would recommend prioritising them for further investigation. However, based on the external facing information they have on their work, they look like promising bets. That's the end of the footnote. Back in the main text, we go on to the next point. If you are a funder, consider funding these organisations and studies recommended above within your existing programs or having a new program focused on VAWG. Next point. If you are a charity evaluator, considering adding charities focusing on VAWG, especially those identified here, on your list of recommended charities. And the last point, if you are an entrepreneur, consider starting a charity in one of the areas of need identified within the report. Audio note, the remainder of this post contains an acknowledgement section and then two sections of supplementary material, which contain more information about the cost-effectiveness model used and the geographic assessment referenced in the article. You can check these supplements out in the original post. This was an audio version of What You Can Do to Help Stop Violence Against Women and Girls by Akil, posted on the 12th of January 2023. This reading was by Perrin Walker and produced by Type 3 Audio.